Welcome to 2050 Investors, the podcast that deciphers economic and market megatrends to meet tomorrow's challenges. I'm Kokua Bobla. I head up economics, cross-asset, and quant research at Société Générale. In each episode of 2050 Investors, I'll investigate a key megatrend that relates to the economy, the planet, markets, and you. How do I look? You are fabulous, Siri. This new leather case really looks good on you. A smart case on a smartphone. Pun intended. Thank you, but I don't know if this is really me, you know? I'm still torn between the smart battery case, the green biodegradable one and the latest and very popular case by Gucci. Really? Why? Because I'm worth it. <laughs> okay, Siri, as long as you don't wear a new case for every episode. Should I remind you of the proverb, clothes don't make the men? <laughs> I should probably rephrase, smart cases don't make phones smart. Besides, you already have at least 10 cases in your drawer. Really funny. I beg to disagree. Mark Twain once jokingly said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Okay, I give up. You do have a point though. Since the dawn of time and across civilizations, clothing has been a vital part of our human experience. People will judge and make assumptions based on what you choose to wear. In fact, what you wear is a key part of the identity you convey. Think about my karate gi and the brown belt I often wear in the dojo. Us. Or my suit and blue tie in the office, for example. You can use your clothes to broadcast an image of you. Your parents' social status, your line of work, your cultural background, character, mood, age, gender, religious belief, or simply the activity or event you're taking part in, from sport to attending a party. And this is the reason why I'm wearing a suit and a black tie for a very special occasion tonight. A men in black costume party or a dinner date with the wife. Lol. No, I'm attending a podcast award ceremony. So, how do I look? Smashing. Wait, what award ceremony? Well, well, well. The Webby Awards, of course. 2015 Investors is a 2023 honorary for the best branded podcast. Our star-studded production teams and all the podcast superstars will be there on the red carpet, showing off their designer clothes on the runway. One, two, one, two. <laughs> on behalf of everyone at 2050 Investors, I would like to thank our loyal listeners, our fans, friends, family, and bosses, of course, for all your support over the years. Congratulations. I cannot wait for our next investigation. Let me guess. Podcasting in 2050 or how to decarbonize the red carpet. You are close, Siri. I suggest we investigate the future of fashion. And calling it the green carpet won't be enough. Here are some questions worth asking ourselves. What's the carbon, water and biodiversity footprint of the fashion industry? Why are we so obsessed with clothes and why is it getting worse? Can sustainable fashion reach net zero and defeat the irresistible forces of economics? Later in this episode, we chat with Anne Krischlow, our senior retail analyst at Société Générale. Anne will explain to us the solutions and fashion tips proven to work at scale 
And could the future of fashion be a world where we wear the same super durable clothing like Marvel superheroes? Think Spider-Man and Wonder Woman. Let's start our investigation. First, a quick poll for our listeners. How many of you look at your closet full of clothes and feel like you have nothing to wear? Nod if you agree. Based on the information shared by my AI friends across all the connected smartphones, we have 76.2% of the audience who have nodded. Wow, this is interesting. We have so many clothes that they have now become an enormous and very diverse ecosystem of fabric of all kinds, from cotton to polyester, growing exponentially. A sort of Darwinian process of evolution by human over-selection with zero circularity whatsoever. The number of clothing apparel has skyrocketed, pushed by multicolored posters, plastered across the metro stations in every major city. 365 days of the year, 24-7, seven days a week. Every new fashion trend and every fashion cycle, spring, summer, and fall, winter. And the cycle goes on and on and on. Adverts are all trying desperately to quench our insatiable thirst and desire to dress to impress. Following brands have now become universal. Gucci, Dior, Prada, Armani, Hermès, Louis Vuitton, Zara, H&M, Uniqlo, Gap, Primark, and so on. Of course, this is all happening with catastrophic consequences for the environment. Seawater pollution, landfills coupled with deplorable working conditions across the supply chains in developing countries. Are you not getting overly dramatic now? Unfortunately not. But before we get there, we need to talk about the history of clothing to understand our obsession with fashion. It sounds like you are calling Emily in Paris to the stand. Ha! <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger, Siri. This might shock you, but we humans didn't always wear clothes. In fact, an article from the New York Times reports that scientists determined that humans lost their fur at least 1.2 million years ago. Meanwhile, another study by the University of Florida concluded that humans started wearing clothes about 170,000 years ago after the second to last ice age. Truly alarming. It's interesting that humans are the only species out of the estimated 8 million needing to wear clothes. Yes, indeed. When you look at the animal kingdom, lions, Bears, pandas, cats, zebras, turtles, birds. Mother Nature seems to have taken care of their dress code. Clothes were a vital mechanism to protect humans from the harsh, cold climate after migrating out of Africa. Okay, I get it. You guys lost your fur. Then you stole it from other animals to get warm. Classic. Touché. Today, isolated indigenous people in tropical climates continue to be without clothing in many everyday activities. Meanwhile, let's not forget the nudist community calling us to return and embrace our natural state. You mean back to the times of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Keep me out of it. So how did you get so obsessed with clothes? To really grasp this changing mindset, I suggest you read this great novel, Au Bonheur des Dames, or Lady's Delight, by French author Émile Zola. It tells the fascinating story of a 20-year-old woman who comes to Paris to work as a saleswoman at the department store Au Bonheur des Dames. 
These stores were a new and innovative concept at the time of the Industrial Revolution. The model was based on the following principles. Mass advertising, large discounts, abundance of choices, home delivery, a system of refunds, reading rooms and economies of scale. It marked the beginning of consumerism as opposed to consumption. Customers could live out their intoxicating fantasies and succumb to their buying impulses. This eventually drove smaller specialty shops out of business. These massive department stores are now everywhere. Indeed, this was also the beginning of the end for the planet. I came across an interesting article from the worldbank.org entitled How much do our wardrobe cost to the environment? Here are some key facts. Now, Siri, do you want the blue pill or the red pill? I.e. the propaganda or the truth and nothing but the truth. The green one, please. Smart choice. Okay, here we go. Take my favorite pair of blue jeans in my closet, for example. The UN Environment Program, UNEP, says it takes roughly 3,800 liters of water to make my pair of jeans. The carbon footprint across its supply chain is 33 kilograms of CO2 equivalent, not far from what it takes to produce one kilogram of beef. But other sources put this figure even higher. The UN also estimates that a single pair of jeans requires a kilogram of cotton, which uses 7,500 to 10,000 liters of water throughout the production chain. In context, that's about 10 years worth of drinking water for one person, or 10,500 millimeter bottles of water. Now, for the whole industry, the UNEP and the Ellen MacArthur Foundation have some interesting facts. Fact number one. Talking about water, the fashion industry uses 93 billion cubic meters of water. 20% of wastewater worldwide comes from fabric dyeing and treatment. Fact number two. At the current pace, our global consumption of apparel will grow from 62 million metric tons in 2019 to a monstrous 102 million tons in 10 years. This is even more alarming as the fashion industry is responsible for 10% of global carbon emissions, more than all international flights and maritime shipping combined. Wow, and at the current pace, it will increase by 50% by 2030. Fact number three. This last one is even more shocking, so hold on to your pearls. Of the total fiber input used for clothing, 87% is incinerated or disposed of in landfills, mostly in parts of Africa or Southeast Asia. You heard me right, 87%. Moreover, every year we drop half a million tons of plastic microfibers into the ocean, the equivalent of 50 billion tons of plastic bottles. These fibers cannot be extracted from water, and they have entered our food chain and even our blood cells. We discussed this alarming issue in the Life in Plastics episode. So, we've learned that clothes are a recent phenomenon for humankind, after shedding our literal coat to adorn ourselves in the latest garments, even fur, and that the clothing industry is a major pollutant. But when did we all go gaga for fashion? And why is it getting worse? This is the second question we now need to investigate. 
Your Honor, I call fast fashion to the stand. Investopedia.com describes fast fashion as clothing designs that move quickly from the catwalk to stores to take advantage of trends. These styles are produced at increasingly higher speed in massive quantities and disposable quality. And this is key for a very low price. Furthermore, collection launches are no longer seasonal. Many low-cost clothing stores offer new designs every week. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation says in 2000, the industry made 50 billion new garments. Nearly 20 years later, that figure has doubled. The exponential pace of apparel manufacturing has also accelerated consumption. The average person today buys 60% more clothing than in 2000. And not only do they buy more, but they also discard more as a result. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation estimates that every year, some $500 billion in value is lost due to clothing barely worn, not being donated, recycled, or ending up in a landfill. In the end, less than 1% of used clothing is recycled into new garments. Now, one important reason for the growth in fast fashion is the use of polyester. I didn't see that coming. And why is that? Because of its durability and versatility. It can therefore handle abrasion from machine washing and doesn't need special care, unlike cotton and other natural fibers. As Fashinza.com puts it, polyester fibers are thermoplastic. That means that the material is heat sensitive and can be folded and pleated into any shape. Hence, for apparel manufacturers, polyester material is a no-brainer. Designers, meanwhile, love this fabric over many others as 100% polyester is extremely stain-resistant. So, what's the catch? You cannot judge a plastic by its cover. Synthetic materials like polyester are highly unsustainable and offer poorer quality. As CommonObjective.com notes, factories producing polyester without wastewater treatment systems can release potentially dangerous substances, including antimony, cobalt, manganese salt, sodium bromide, and titanium dioxide in the environment. As an oil-based plastic, polyester does not biodegrade like natural fibers. And it gets worse. Heat can release polyester chemicals like antimony oxide, which is used to make polyester, a known carcinogen. With body heat, it is partially dissolved with sweat and absorbed by the skin. It can cause heart, liver, kidney, and skin disorders. It might be better to walk around naked. Um, thanks, but no thanks. I think we simply need to make smarter decisions on what clothes we buy. We'll return to this later. But first, I think we should dig a bit further into the environmental and social issues of fast fashion, shall we? An article from ecostylist.com states that some negative environmental and social issues include worker harassment, diseases due to toxic chemicals, greenhouse gas emissions, biodiversity loss, and resource and soil depletion. The majority of the women who are part of the fashion supply chains are located outside the US and Europe, mostly in the global south where regulations and wages are far below what is considered dignified or livable. They are not only paid low wages, but are also subjected to unhealthy labor conditions. In 2013, the Rana Plaza in Bangladesh collapsed, killing over a thousand garment workers. 
The event highlighted the plight of garment factory workers globally and triggered calls for better working conditions. There have been improvements, but more still needs to be done. Shocking and heartbreaking. The next question is, what can be done and what fashion tips can work at scale? The industry needs to reinvent itself. According to Statista.com, the global apparel industry is worth over $1.5 trillion in revenues in 2022. The fast fashion market worldwide is estimated to be worth $106 billion globally and directly employs 75 million people throughout its value chain. It's the world's third largest manufacturing sector after the automobile and technology industries. A TED Talk called I Broke Up With Fast Fashion and You Should Too by Gabriella Smith argues that we should check the tags, the origins of our clothes, think in terms of cost per wear and see clothing as an investment. Buying something cheap that will only wear a couple of times can be more expensive over time than a quality and higher priced item that will last longer. With this goal in mind, the World Bank gives some interesting recommendations, like repairing your clothing and also buying what you need. Every additional year a garment is worn means less pollution, so buying second-hand clothing provides an attractive alternative. Thanks for the tips. I'm not so sure I need a new case now. Wise move, Siri. For more insights into the sector, let's get another perspective on the sustainability of the fashion industry with Anne Critchlow, non-food retail analyst at Société Générale. Hello, Anne. Hi, Koku. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for spending some time with us to discuss the future of fashion. Oh, you're very welcome. How can I help? How do you explain the exponential growth in the demand for fast fashion? Is the industry looking to quench an insatiable thirst for recognition that is deeply embedded in the human psyche, particularly when it comes to millennials? When you sort of look at the time they spend on social media and sort of the constant need for attention? Well, you know, globalization helped to make fashion cheaper, but then the internet and social media really sped it up. But fashion itself is nothing new, of course. I mean, rightly or wrongly, I think we all understand from an early age that appearances matter. And it goes to the core of our being, doesn't it? It's about finding your place in the world and signaling who you are, which means we're particularly interested in fashion when we're young. And younger people often have limited spending power, so they naturally seek out cheaper options. But, you know, you asked about fast fashion. And when people talk about fast fashion, they generally mean cheap disposable trends. And in the first instance, it really was the retailers that created the market for this. Um, the 80s and 90s brought us ever cheaper clothing because retailers in Europe and America started to offshore their production to lower cost countries in the Far East. And that gave rise to what we call value fashion. So fashion trends sourced on long lead times in bulk at low cost. And H&M's a prime example of being very successful in this and it had stores all around the world. Primark then offered even lower prices simply by accepting lower margins than H&M. Um, and then we had a few decades of imported clothing price deflation. Clothing just got cheaper and cheaper. But most of the product was designed up to a year ahead of the season. So it wasn't really fast at all at this point. Um, and there were very few exceptions to this. Zara did stand out as a speed to market retailer, sourcing on much shorter lead times and delivering what the customer wanted within season. But 
um, not at ultra low prices. And then the internet came along and definitely revved up the cycle. And we had the rise of Boohoo just as smartphones were taking off. So that's the supply side. But on the demand side, I think the internet has played a big part in growing the market. And a few decades ago, it was still the catwalks of high-end houses that created the trends. And these would filter down to the mass market relatively slowly. We were then told what was in fashion by women's magazines. And funnily enough, uh, what was said to be in fashion was what the retailers had ordered and wanted to sell to us. It's very different now, as trends often emerge these days on social media. And these trends gain momentum within season. And the retailers are not really the ones in control any longer. Do you think companies and consumers are able to follow through on their decarbonization commitments? Or are the forces of economics still too strong? Now that's a really tough one, Koku, because the carbon in clothing comes from the moment the raw materials are grown and harvested or extracted all the way through to the end of life treatment or disposal. And in that entire life cycle of an article of clothing, the retailer tends to be directly responsible for less than 1% of the carbon footprint relating to that item. That 1% is mainly linked to energy use in stores, warehouses and headquarters buildings. Those are what we call scope one and two emissions, the emissions of own operations for retail companies. The other 99% of emissions are within scope three. Those are the external sources of emissions. And included in this is the carbon from energy used and CO2 emitted through the supply chain. Everything from growing the cotton on the farm or felling a tree to create viscose or extracting oil for polyester, um, through to spinning, weaving, dyeing, clothing manufacture, transport, and you know all of the emissions re relating to customer use, like um, energy used by washing machines. And actually, it's 60% of total emissions in the supply chain and 20% with customer use. Uh, transport makes up most of the rest. So the question is, how do you reduce those 99% those of carbon emissions that retailers don't have a lot of control over? Absolutely. This is a very uh, quite fascinating. And these internal tensions will, will uh, clearly take uh, some time to get resolved. One last question. In one of the uh, previous episodes of 2050 Investors podcast, we spent some time on plastics and we discussed how a large proportion uh, of items put up for recycling and simply end up in landfill. So do you think recycling and circularity is achievable by 2050? And what initiatives and actions have you found to be um, the most credible at scale? Any fashion tips? Well, absolutely no idea if we can make it by 2050, but a statistic I often come across is that only 1% of clothing ends up being recycled and reborn into new clothing. Even if a quarter of clothing, at least in Europe, does get recycled and made into other things like, like insulation. But there are multiple challenges with recycling. You know, recycling itself requires energy, so that has a carbon footprint. Blended materials like polycotton are difficult to separate and recycle. But a couple of companies have started to uh, invest in technologies here, and we're getting the beginnings of scaling up. Especially as by 2050, the world population will probably grow from 8 billion today to 10 billion people on Earth who will probably would need and want to be clothed decently. Absolutely. And then you asked me for fashion tips, but seriously, you're asking me, Koku? <laughs> um, I mean, the trend that did make me laugh recently is the Y2K trend, because the styles from the early 2000s, believe it or not, are making a comeback. So if you're interested, um, that's baggy jeans and hoodies for men. But I don't think I'll be going back there myself. Well, I might uh, give it a try. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. And this has been uh, amazing insights and thoughts. And I'm sure our uh, listeners will have plenty to think about next time they go uh, shopping. Well, there is one tip that's worth remembering. And that's if you're looking for the most sustainable item of clothing, it's the one already in your wardrobe. There you go. Absolutely. Great speaking to you. Thanks a lot, Koku. Here's a reflection from Quora.com on fashion versus self. When you say that someone is being worn by their clothes, it means that the person is trying too hard. You can't stop seeing the clothes and don't notice the person underneath. The clothes are so noticeable that you can't take your eyes off them. With this in mind, I will therefore conclude this episode with the following proverb. Wear the clothes, don't let the clothes wear you. Thank you for listening to this episode of 2050 Investors. And thanks to Anne Critchlow for her time and valuable insights. I hope this episode has helped you get a better sense of the future of fashion. You can find the show on your regular streaming apps. Please subscribe, leave comments and stars anywhere you like, and spread the word. See you at the next episode. While the following podcast discusses the financial markets, it does not recommend any particular investment decision. If you are unsure of the merits of any investment decision, please seek professional advice.